0: The fifth commandment, honour your father and mother, immediately takes us right to the heart of family life. But what does family life look like now that we are three and a half thousand years on from when that commandment was given? Well, sadly, many of us don't have a father or a mother to honour, at least not our biological one. Recent statistics show us that one in four children have had their parents divorce by the time they reach 16. Indeed, nearly half of all marriages now end in divorce. Four in ten children are born outside of marriage. And more than a quarter of all households are now people living on their own. We have words in our everyday vocabulary that would have sounded very strange to the ears of Moses. Maintenance agreements, access arrangements, my current partner, prenuptial agreements. All of these phrases demonstrate the reality of our broken homes. We're also much more aware of the abuse that takes place of children in the home. Sadly, statistics tell us that if a child experiences just four occasions of either neglect or abuse or violence, they are 30 times more likely to experience mental health issues later in life.
1: Now, of course, we don't need
0: facts and figures to prove this to us. So many of us have witnessed the pain of family breakdown with our own eyes. We have seen it happen to friends and family and neighbours. And some of us here have had it happen to us. And I want to say right at the start of this sermon that if that is your experience, I'm really sorry. I am really sorry for the pain that you have experienced and the damage that has been caused. And I want you to know that you are loved by God. And you are loved by us. And you will always be welcome in this church family without judgment. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, you're not going to be further hurt because somehow your family doesn't match up to the expectations of others. Rather, I hope that you will have been encouraged by the promises and the help that God wants to bring into your life. The fifth commandment still holds. It's a principle that is still vital for life, but it can't be applied without thinking or in blanket fashion. Family life in 2023 is just too complicated for that. And I'm going to try hard to find some nuance as we journey through this together. I want to begin by giving an overview of what the Bible says about family life. And there are three things that I'd like to make clear. Families are a gift from God, but sadly, families are also always under threat. And as a result, God has shown us that He wants to help family life. Let's take one of those at a time. First of all, then, families are a gift from God. As the creator of all, God designed families and He gave them to us. They were his idea. And I think there are three great claims that the Bible makes for the benefit of family life. First of all, living in families teaches us the very essence of what it is to be human. The early chapters of the Bible, which poetically describe God creating the world, tell us that God made human beings specifically to relate to others. Indeed, he has shaped us for relationships. Adam and Eve were formed to be perfectly compatible with one another. Humanity in general were made to be in relationship with God. We are incomplete without him. And what this means then is for a human being to reach full maturity, it's not about how much knowledge we have or how strong we have become It's about how well we have learnt to be with other people. And where do we learn that skill most of all? In families. In the Bible, families are the God designed structures where we learn to understand ourselves and how to relate to others. Families teach us how to communicate, to forgive, to be patient, to celebrate. To respect, to love, to make peace, to sacrifice. Families are the principal location for us to grow as human beings. Second, families in the Bible are the natural location for children to learn about God. Deuteronomy 6 is a chapter in the Bible that directly follows on from the recording of the 10 commandments and in that chapter we read these verses in 6 and 7. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In the Bible, the family was to be the place where the knowledge of God got passed on to the next generation. In fact, it was to happen there even more than it did at church. Parents were to pass on to their children the wisdom and experience gained from their own journey of faith. They were to teach their children the stories of what God has done. They were to teach them how to pray. And to encourage them with testimonies of their own prayers that they've had answered. They were helped to help them read and understand and follow God's instructions in the scriptures. Now I know that I am very lucky. I came from a family who did this for me. It was the best gift that they could ever have passed on to me. And not everyone today is so fortunate. My wife, Emily, certainly wasn't. But we will never understand this commandment or the importance of family life in the Bible unless we see this. The human family was supposed to be the school of faith. Third, God designed families to be the building blocks of society. God intended family to provide that intimate and secure and supportive environment that every child needs to be nurtured to maturity. And that's why there are biblical standards for parental care and the upbringing of children. Parents are to show love and respect and have a commitment to the welfare of all. In the Bible, if extended families worked well together, they made all the people in that community less vulnerable. In an age before social care and food banks and unemployment benefit, the family was the place that kept you safe. Notice how this commandment comes with an important promise attached to it. Listen again honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. In the Bible, committed family groups were the bedrock for how a society was supposed to be structured. The bond between parents and their children was what held everything else together. And God promises that if his people make the effort to work at family life, they will see the practical benefits in the years ahead, not just for them as individuals, but for the whole nation. So in the Bible, families are a gift from God, a great gift. They, they teach us how to be human, they teach us about God, and they build a successful and compassionate and just society. They are a very good thing, a wonderful piece of God's design. But having said all of that, the Bible is not naive. The Bible is equally clear that these good human families are always under threat. As we listen to those statistics at the beginning of this sermon, it would have been very easy for us to think that there is a huge gulf between life today and life in the Bible. But the truth is that Moses' day was hardly the golden age of family either. The Bible is actually quite unflattering as it describes human families. In fact, some of them are as spectacularly dysfunctional as those we see on the TV soaps today. Just think of some of the following. Adam and Eve's family relationships broke down so much, one son murdered another one. Jacob had 12 sons from four different women, and some of those women he clearly loved more than the others, and that fostered a chronic insecurity within the children, And then Jacob went on to favor one of those sons above all of the others, and that screwed up his children even more, and led to Joseph being sold off as a slave. Once great King David had committed adultery, his family fractured apart. It literally never knew peace again. King Solomon, with his 700 wives and 300 concubines, was just about the worst example of a family man you could possibly imagine. His legacy was the wrenching of Israel apart as his family descended into war. You know, not every story is included in the Bible so that we admire it. Many are included so that we learn lessons from them. Lessons on forgiveness and humility and commitment. And the Bible shows us that making a family work is hard. It's really hard and it always has been. There is always another challenge coming round the corner that will threaten our family unless we deal with it well. And honestly, if we keep our family together, it will be the greatest achievement of our lives. Families are always under threat. And when we stop working at them or take them for granted, things go wrong fast. And that's why there are so many instructions in the Bible about family life, because God is trying to alert us to this. God intended families to be this powerful source of good, to be places of belonging and trust and learning and love. Yet when they go wrong, it's that same power that makes them the sites of long-lasting bitterness and hurt. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. And the Bible has given us plenty of warning. So God gave family as a gift to us, but those families are always under threat from human sin. There is one other thing that the Bible repeatedly says about family life. And that is that God wants to help us with it. The encouraging news is that God doesn't just give commandments like this one and then look on frowning when we mess it up. No, God gives the command and then actively gets involved to help us keep it. First of all, the Bible says that God has set an example for us. God could not have given any greater endorsement to parenting than to be happy to be considered a parent himself. And that is how the Bible pictures God, isn't it? He is the model father who cares and nurtures us all. Jesus referred to God as his father. He taught his disciples to pray the same. Our father who is in heaven, he said. In fact, Jesus went even further than that. He called God Abba, which in Aramaic is roughly equivalent to our dad. God is our holy, heavenly dad. Now, many people today have real difficulty thinking about God as father. And that is because of their experience of their own father. It wasn't a good one. But we need to try and come at it from the other way around. God is everything that a father should be. He is the perfect father, the, the true ideal. He is actually like no father anyone has ever known. When we look at him, we see someone who is always good and always faithful, and always true, someone who's trustworthy, someone who can be relied upon. And God especially wants to love and parent those who have been damaged and broken by their experience of human family. God helps us in family life by setting us the example to follow. When we look at him, we begin to understand how we are to behave in the family context. We learn how to love from a real-life role model. The second way that God helps families today is with the power of forgiveness. Of course, all human families, even the best ones, at some point fall short. Words will be said, actions will be done that hurt and cause offence. And we will all need to know the forgiveness of Jesus for our part in that. Yet as we experience the forgiveness of Jesus for ourselves, we simultaneously become more equipped to forgive others. Those who know how much they've been forgiven themselves will find in their hearts the ability to forgive their parents and to forgive their children and to forgive their siblings and to forgive their spouses when they've been hurt by them. Jesus is the source of forgiveness, the the provider of healing, the inspiration for change that every family needs. And finally, God helps families by giving us power. You know, every family member needs wisdom and patience and guidance at times. And in the Holy Spirit, we find just that. In Ephesians uh, 5 and 6, There's a whole lot of teaching on the moral duties of husbands and wives and parents and children. It goes on, verse after verse after verse. It can all seem a little daunting. But then you look at what that whole chapter is preceded by, and it's a powerful instruction. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. God gives us his spirit to equip us for family life. In fact, it's only with the Holy Spirit's power that we can possibly hope to live out God's pattern for families and overcome the threats that are going to come our way. So that brings our overview of family life in the Bible to an end. I I thought it was quite important for us to see that. Families are a gift from God designed to bring us up and nurture us in the faith and build successful societies. Families are always under threat from human sin. That is nothing new. It has always been the case. And it's precisely because family life is so hard that God wants to help us with it. He set the example and poured out his forgiveness of Jesus and his power in the Holy Spirit. Now, now that we've seen that, I want us to tackle the fifth commandment itself. The fifth commandment is honour your father and your mother. Honouring our parents means giving them value, giving them respect. It means esteeming them, even if we disagree with them. Now, this commandment doesn't mean that we automatically obey everything they tell us, even if we know full well it is wrong. Right. This commandment doesn't mean that we should stay in a situation where we're being abused by our parents. It should never be used to silence a victim. And this commandment also clearly applies to more than just our biological parents. If we were loved and nurtured by foster carers or aunts or grandparents or guardians or older brothers and sisters or men and women in the church, this commandment applies to them. We are to honour those who try to raise us well, and we are to protect ourselves from those who don't. So how do we do this? Well, I came across uh, four practical pointers this week in the writing of evangelist J. John. He says that we are to accept our parents, we're to appreciate our parents, we're to affirm our parents, And we're to act now. Let's begin with accepting our parents. Proverbs 23, 22 says this. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. God is not asking us to pretend that our parents are perfect when they are not. Neither is God asking us to pretend they're always right, which they definitely won't be. He is asking us to respect them for the role that they've taken on. In the court of law, you address the judge as your honor. That title has nothing to do with our attitude towards their personality. It is the showing of respect to the judge's position, the judge's authority. And so it is with this commandment. We have a duty to honour and accept our parents because they've given us life and they have the challenging task of bringing us up and teaching us about God. We are to appreciate our parents, to appreciate the efforts that they've made on our behalf. I'm not a parent, but I'm under no illusion as to how difficult it is, how utterly consuming this role is. I watched my parents give up so much to raise my brother and I. And I was fortunate to have both mum and dad at home. I have no idea how single parents do it. They are absolute heroes in my book. Our parents have passed so much on to us. We are who we are because of them. Many of the skills we have, the achievements we've won, the interests that we enjoy are all because of them. And part of honouring them is to say thank you for that. And we should try to find regular and practical ways of showing that appreciation. Sending cards, making phone calls, diverting journeys to call in on them. All of these are important. J. John says that we're also to affirm our parents, to strengthen, to support them. And we can do this by praising them telling them how grateful we are for how they've shaped us. But we can also do it by continuing to include them in our lives, inviting them on holiday with us, consulting with them when we're facing a difficult situation, even if we don't end up taking their advice, speaking to them with respect. In these ways, we affirm our parents. And finally, J. John says, we are to act now. When you think about it, this is the only commandment that doesn't last a lifetime. The day will come when bereavement will remove the opportunity for us to carry out this command. And if you've lost your mother and father, and this sermon is bringing back your grief, I'm really sorry for your loss. And the sad reality is that this is going to come to us all. And therefore, this commandment is urgent. Don't wait for a crisis to come before you make peace with your parents. Start honoring them now. Obey them in your younger years. Support them in their older years. Respect them through all their years. I need to start wrapping this up now. I hope that you found this practical and sensitive. I hope that we've been honest in recognising that family life is hard for all of us at times. Of course it should go without saying that alongside the commandment for children to honour their parents, parents also need to try and be worthy of that honour. They need to work at their parenting. They need to learn from every opportunity. Spouses need to work at their marriages because a secure marriage is so important for the raising of children. Parents need to praise and compliment their children rather than run them down. They need to do discipline well, not seeking to punish them but to protect them. Parents need to know when to let go And allow their children to stand on their own two feet and make their own mistakes. Parents need to love and respect their children if they are wanting all out back to them. But that's another sermon, I think. I want to finish with just a simple encouragement that I think will apply to every person in this room, regardless of whether we've had a good experience of human family or not. When family life is hard, Jesus understands You know Joseph disappears from the Bible when Jesus is just 12. We presume that he died young. So Jesus knew what it was to grow up with one parent. and as the eldest son in that culture, he would have also had to look after his younger siblings in that situation. so he also knows a little bit about parenting himself. Jesus also experienced his mothers and brothers completely misunderstanding him. On one occasion, they thought he was mad and tried to drag him away from the crowd that he was talking to. And Jesus had to stand up against their well-meaning but unhelpful efforts. When a child is frustrated, they often complain, no one understands me. Jesus does. He understands everything about you. Second, if we've lost our family or we've been badly treated by them, we have a church family to turn to. Here in this place, you'll find a family of love and support, a family united by Jesus. Your mother and father may never have prayed for you. They may have never taught you the Bible. They may never have sat and held you while you were weeping. But we will do our best to, as will all the rest of God's church across the world. And finally, every single one of us here today has the promise that we're part of the family of God. One day the brokenness and the pain of this age will be over. The the trials and the struggles of human families will cease. And we will take our place alongside all the other believers in the presence of our Father and alongside our brother, Jesus. And nothing will beat the peace and the joy of that moment Because finally we'll be home with the great family that we all long for. And may that thought be a blessing to us as we go out from here to keep the fifth commandment as best we can. Let's pray together.